If you would bow with me. Father, we are grateful that we're able to gather here today, study your word. We ask by your power that we would be um, enlightened to the realities that you have for us. I pray, Father, that we would be a people uh, that are sensitive to your direction and to your uh, uh, leading as we read your word. I pray, Lord, that we would walk in in light of that and, and be transformed by it. In Christ's name, amen. We uh, always have done this over the last few weeks. I don't know if, as we go further if we will do this every time, but I just want to remind you that we started the revelation with uh, the, the understanding that Jesus is the, both the revealer and the revealed. He is revealing uh, himself and he's revealing the plan for the ages. Uh, we found out that he, we had a vision of him as the Lord of the church and uh, we saw that on display when he speaks to actual churches uh, um, in, in chapters 2 and 3, and he commends and confronts them. Uh, we also know that that number of, of churches was seven, which is a number of completion. It's something of, we, we read those and say, this speaks to all churches uh, for all time. You go to chapter 4, and we're taken up into heaven. John is taken up there. He sees uh, the one on the throne, which we would say is God the Father sitting on the throne, and we see um, him reigning over all. And so regardless of the chaos, both in the church and outside, he sits on the throne. Uh, that's kind of the setting for chapter 5, where he is holding, uh, the one on the throne is holding a scroll, and, and uh, the question becomes, who is worthy to open the scroll? The scroll, uh, no one is worthy, the scripture says, and yet then there's one that shows up. He is the, the lion of the tribe of Ju- Judah. He is presented as a lamb who was slain, and he comes, and he is worthy to open the scroll. We know uh, this is Jesus. If, you're, if you were to think about the scroll in your mind, you, you, it may be best to see it as containing God's plan of judgment and redemption, which was set in motion by Christ's death, and, and is continuing even today. As we await the resurrection, it will be completed. And so that's kind of the flow of what was going on. When you get to chapter 6, the seals are, are, are broken, and as they are, the, we see things unfold, these judgments coming forth. And so uh, that's what kind of goes on as we move through chapter 6. We see wars, natural disasters, death, all kinds of things coming until the final coming. And at the very end of chapter 6, you see the final coming of Christ and and it's on display very clearly. Chapter 7, when we get to it, we see uh, really another picture for us, very powerful, that God has sealed his saints, that they are kept and protected even in the midst of all that's going on. And it's a way of pausing and saying, listen, just understand this, you are sealed, you are protected, you are guarded, and and God is going to keep each one of you. And then we see the saints in heaven honoring and glorifying and praising God for what he has done. Now, as you get to chapter 8, so we had that little break in 7, we kind of, we pick up what was going on in chapter 6. And so that's where we are today. And in chapter 8, we're going to see the seventh seal open. And then uh, following that, we'll see seven trumpets and, and only like four of those today, but we'll see the trumpets follow. And even further, we're going to kind of move forward and see seven bowls. And each one of those are judgments. And so you're just kind of in your mind as you're looking at that. I think that will be helpful uh, to see. Now, um, in chapter, well, just kind of 
to put it in your mind. Hopefully this will be helpful. In chapter 6, the martyrs pray to God. In chapter 8, we see the saints again praying to God. And again, you see this connection that you and I need to see and understand, I think, as we move uh, through this text. Now, what would be the needs of chapter 8? Why, why do we need to read it? What would be helpful about reading it? A couple of things I think are really helpful. One is the issue of prayer is brought before us again. And uh, one of the things Anna and I talked about this week and we talk about over and over is that's always been the most difficult discipline in my life. Uh, prayer's been one of those things where I just, I need to grow in my discipline of prayer. And um, part of that, and we discussed this this week, she always helps you kind of bring to the forefront the issue. It's like sometimes I just think God is going to, work out his plan and so I'm going to work hard and he's going to carry out his plan and and I'm you know just kind of not really thinking about really what the a theology of prayer of how one of the means by which God works out his plan is the prayers of his saints and it's just something again I can neglect that and not think about it as I ought to and so one thing here I think is to remind us of uh, our, our, our call to pray, but also how we participate with God in the activity that He is accomplishing uh, through our prayers. Another thing that I think uh, is important here is sometimes we fail to see the connection between God's wrath against sin and the troubles in nature. Uh, that's just something you'll see there, and I think that's helpful to remind ourselves. Sometimes we say, well, it's just another storm. But we don't connect the fact that part of the way in which God brings judgment on this earth is through natural disasters and through these troubles. And we see that uh, throughout the Revelation and throughout the Bible. It's just sometimes I think we forget that. Another thing I think we need to see is that these judgments uh, glorify God. Like, and sometimes, again, people want to say, well, that's not, God's not in that or God doesn't work in that. Listen, these judgments, these difficulties, those things are to glorify God, and they do. And the last thing I guess you could say is um, uh, that question that the saints ask in chapter 6 of how long, how much longer are we going to experience these things? We, we, we just need to be reminded over and over, it's a little longer, but, in, but, but there are things right now he is answering the prayers of his saints even now in the present things that are going on. And so I just think those are helpful. I think that's a good reminder for us. Uh, one, one man said it this way about chapter 8. He says, the main point is this. The trumpet blast in chapter 8 depict God's hallowing his name in response to the prayers of his people as the holiness of God is visited, visited upon the created order. He said, or maybe even simpler, you could say, God answers the prayers of his people by hallowing his name and judging the world. And so I think it's important that we see that and grasp that. So we're going to break it up in three sections. In chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, you'll see our prayers are answered. That's one of the things that we've, we're going to address. We'll work through that. 8, 6 through 12, we see the four trumpets and this wrath falling upon the world. And then 13, you see this woe to the earth dwellers. 
And so that's kind of where we'll go. We'll move through this. And, and then uh, as we work to the end, hopefully we'll be able to pull it all together. All right, verses 1 through 5. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were uh, peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. So remember, chapter 6 and chapter 8 were broken up by what's called an interlude in chapter 7. And then, what we're in, which was kind of revealing the security of God's people. And now we're here, again, picking up what was going on in chapter 6. We're at the seventh seal. So I, I think it's just important you can note this. In 4 and 5, we had this kind of vision of heaven. In chapter 6, uh, right before the, the, the seals were opened. And now you kind of get another glimpse of heaven. And in chapters 8 and 9, these trumpets will blow. And then later, when we get to John, I mean, Revelation 14, I mean, so, sorry, chapter 15, you'll see a picture of the sanctuary. And then the bowls of, of wrath will come. And so this is a pattern. And, and John kind of wrote that way. You'll see that in 1 John and other places. But you'll see this kind of pattern recurring over and over. So I, I think it's just important too to not just to see this for a moment. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven. And sometimes you'll talk about that, the calm before the storm. Uh, there, there's something of silence even in our day. I even debated today, like, what if I just paused here for a minute? And allowed you to feel the silence just for a minute. One minute. Like it would be hard for us. We'd probably be uneasy about it. Because we're not used to silence. But you understand like there's something about this silence. That it's about to be. There's the coming flood of judgment that's about to fall. And so there's total silence is the picture. You see that throughout the Old Testament. Uh, where there's silence before the judgment. Everybody. There, there's kind of this picture of, of that throughout. So I think it's important to kind of note that and then you're going to see this judgment unfold. Now we also see another angel and he has a censer which holds this incense and, and really this picture here uh, is is in a lot of times the incense was pictured for like to go up to God's nostrils to to be a, like a fragrant aroma to God. And so with this incense in the prayers of the saints they're to go up to God. That's kind of the idea there the picture here. Now, look back at chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. It says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were given a white robe and told to rest a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So I think it's just important to note that. So this incense going up, God is smelling that. He, there's something about He's delighting in the prayers of the saints. And, and you'll notice even in that verse we just saw, notice what the saints in 6.10 said. They appeal to God's holiness. They, they appeal, they're, they're appealing to His character. They are praying that His name would be hallowed. That is, that He would be honored. That's what they're praying for. They're asking God to 
really the idea is like, God, we want your name honored. We want your renown on display. We want uh, no one to get away with like uh, uh, casting you aside in a sense there. And they're crying out for to, that God would avenge his people. And that's another one of those things where he's saying, like, God, like, we have been unjustly treated. Uh, deal with these people. You're the great judge of the universe. You address them. And sometimes I remember um, one time, a couple of you told me when we studied uh, the Lord's Prayer, you'd, you'd memorized it as a child, but, but you never really kind of thought about the contents of it. What's it saying? What's it revealing? Well, one of the things that you see, Jesus teaching his people to pray, says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I think that is, again, for us, when you're praying that and you're asking God, Lord, we want your honor on display. We want you to be honored in every way. We want your will to always be done. Part of that, part of the way in which that is done is that God would judge those who rebel against him. And so I think that's on display for us in a very clear way here. Now, Hamilton asked this question, one of the the authors I've read. Will your prayers be among the prayers being answered when God takes action in these days? He says, if you trust in Christ alone for your salvation and you are, are and you and if you are praying, they will be. He mentions kind of the responsibility of men uh, in their families as husbands and and fathers and their responsibility to lead their families in this way that they would pray, that they would pray according to the will of God, that they would ask God to move. And, and one of the things I mean, some of you in this church are such an example to me, as prayer warriors, I know that you consistently and habitually pray. And it's a reminder to me that I mean, we, we have a responsibility to lead one another in that way and encourage one another and to stir one another up. One of the reasons why we have those family meetings is that you would be able to gather together and we set aside time to pray for things going on because we know we are participating in God's plan for the ages. And that's why we gather to do that, to pray in that way. And so it's something that we need to grow in. I need to be a better prayer warrior. Now, some of you might say, well, I don't know about praying for God to bring judgment on the earth. I mean, that's just a little bit like, I don't know about that. I mean, you may have struggled with that before. And honestly, a lot of people have. They, they think, well, how does that work? I mean, is that important or should we do that? I, I, I think what we could say, and we see this in the Psalms. David will pray, God, judge my enemies. Protect your people and, and keep them to the end. And, and, and you see that kind of over and over. I think we do pray those prayers. I, I really do. I think there's an aspect where we're saying we may pray, God, May you bring as many of the wicked to faith as possible and use me in it. But if, if they're not coming, then you, would, you, you judge them. You stop them from doing the things that they're doing. I mean, sometimes when you look around the world and you stop and consider everything you see on the news. And you look at that and you think, this is done at the hands of wicked people. God, stop those things. God, address them. God, keep them from doing more harm. I mean, that, that's not a wrong prayer. I mean, the reality is, if you'd lived in World War II, you would be praying that. You would say, God, stop Hitler. Whatever it takes, stop him. 
He's attacking the whole earth. He's bringing destruction in every way. Stop it. And I think we should also pray for that even now. We call God, turn those people to repentance and faith. And if, 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 if not, judge them. Stop all the horrific things that they are doing. And I think that's part of praying according to the will of God. So I think we kind of see that on display. And what you see is the prayer of the saints. As, as it's really like one of these things. It's a picture of God answering the prayers of the saints as he is bringing judgment on the wicked. And you see this storm of judgment coming forth. And you'll see this same storm happen at the end of each one of these series of judgments. I think that's helpful for us as we move through. Now, moving on to 8, 6 through 12. The first four trumpets and the wrath, really, that that comes upon the world. Again, you notice that number seven, the number of completion. We said there's seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. Some people see this in a chronological order. Some people would say, well, then this happens, then this happens, then this happens. Uh, I don't necessarily see it that way. I think, and, and my dad made an interesting kind of observation uh, on Friday when we were talking about it. He was saying that um, it reminds him of like a football game when, when there's a play that, that happens and, and they're kinda, it's kind of called into question or whatever. What you'll do is, as you're watching the screen, they'll start showing you little clips of it. And they'll show it from different angles. So you can see it from this angle, this angle, this angle. And there's different things. And sometimes it emphasizes different aspects of that play. And I think that's kind of the same way here. God is judging the earth and you're seeing different aspects of it through these different uh, uh, series of judgments that are on display. Now, one of the things just to kind of note, during the first really five seals, what we saw is um, the emphasis, I think, was on believers and how they must pass through these difficult times. In the first six trumpets, the emphasis is on unbelievers, both inside and outside the church, what they must endure. And so I think it's given you different glimpses from different angles. The first one, what the believers are going through. The second one, really, what this judgment is for those who have yet to believe. And that, I think, is the emphasis here. Now, I think it's also just important, just as you're thinking about these things, it, it, it's, it's reinforcing the point. Because what happens is, in each series of judgment, it seems to increase in intensity. And so I think it's almost like, uh, I think of it like when you hear somebody, if they were to say, uh, Jared, and then they would say, Jared, and they would say, Jared, you know, they're like, it's almost like, come on, wake up. Do you see what's going to take place? Do you see what God is going to do? Do you understand that judgment is really coming? And so for the church It's a reminder God's going to address His enemies. He's going to protect His people. And for the unbelieving world, they should, when they hear this, it should frighten them. These are frightening things going on here. Now, another thing that you'll see as we move through these, and it's the last little introductory part of that, is this. There's a very close tie between this and the plagues in Egypt. So you go back to Exodus and you read it and you go, hold on just a second. What's going on in Revelation looks a lot like what was going on back there. 
What's the deal? How does that work? I, I think those were, in a way, you could say a type of what was to come. Those judgments on Egypt are now greatly ex, uh, you know, sent up before us like on display where you say these are in a much greater way. These are the fulfillment, really, of what you saw there in a much greater way here. If you remember in the time period with Moses, what happened, the people were groaning. What were they doing? They're crying out to God. God, deliver us. We're in slavery. Please, Lord, rescue us. And God heard their cry. And He answered by judging Egypt. Now we see the saints crying out, God, deliver us. Well, look what's going on in our world. Look how dark it is and broken. Look at the rebellion. Look at what we're experiencing. And God answers here again. And so I think it's just, we need to be reminded of that. God, one guy said, God judged Egypt in order to deliver Israel. And in doing so, was responding to the prayers of pe- the people. The book of Revelation is showing us the ultimate exodus, but this time it's not a mere nation that God is judging, but the wicked world system that has raged against God and His people throughout the ages. He also goes on to say, as at the exodus when Pharaoh and Egypt refused to repent, so here the earth dwellers will refuse to repent. But as with Pharaoh and Egypt, God is crushing the strong by worldly standards in order to deliver The weak by worldly standards. He is rescuing his people. All of this is about deliverance for his people. So let's look at verse 6 and 7. Now the seven angels who who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth and a third of the earth was burned up. And a third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up. Again, this should remind you of those plagues. The seventh plague where, where, where Egypt is struck. The hailstones that fall kind of almost seem like they're fireballs falling down upon the earth. We usually think of like little rocks of, of ice. But here the picture is like these fireballs mixed with blood being thrown upon the earth. The result is a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees and the green, green grass is burned. This is a horrific scene. This is a scene that's just hard to imagine. It's this picture of a charred earth. If you've ever uh, been somewhere after a fire, uh, uh, you know, maybe you've been to places where like a forest burned and and, and you just look at it and you think it's totally desolate. It's it's basically like you you can't even hardly use it for some period of time. Parts of this kind of maybe reminds us of what a famine would be like. Probably to remind us of that and, and, and kind of display that before us, the food supplies being affected here. The second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. So the first trumpet dealt with the land. This trumpet, he's dealing with the sea. This reminds you, and really the next two will remind you of what went on with the Nile where the river was turned to blood. Bill states about this, In Revelation, mountains speak of kingdoms, both good and bad, earthly and heavenly, but in the Old Testament, mountains are representing nations often used to portray the objects of God's judgment. So the picture here is of a 
evil kingdom. Now, you remember even in Jeremiah's day, Jeremiah spoke in this way about Babylon, this great mountain, he said, burned by fire. And later in the same chapter, he spoke of Babylon sinking into the waters, never to rise again. So I think, again, we're kind of seeing this picture on display in the total destruction. And really, if you see it in light of that, the destruction of wicked nations. So we see here, though, if you're just thinking in terms of what we're looking at, we see what takes place on land. We see what's taking place in the sea. Both of those affecting the economy, both of those causing widespread famine and need for food and the loss uh, thereof. So let me think, let me just think for a moment. Do you think, man, why would God be like that? That's not my God. You ever heard something? Oh, whenever I hear that, it's like, who, what, what are you talking about? You know, you just want to shake somebody. That's not my God. Well, who is your God? You know, like, is it the God of the Bible? Uh, it, it's, you kind of have to ask the question of how seriously do you take God's glory? Does God's glory matter very much to you? Do you think that every time man rejects him, rejects his wisdom, rejects his ways, uh, it really acts as if he, he doesn't exist, that they deserve punishment? Do you think judgment should fall on those who actively act as if God does not exist and actually create gods into their own image? Do they deserve eternal punishment? Do they deserve punishment in the present? Do you think human sin warrants this kind of judgment? If you don't, you don't agree with God. You're not accepting what He has said that He would do. You're not understanding His holiness. A lot of times we minimize sin because we minimize who He is. His holy perfection. Verse 10 and 11. The third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from the heaven blazing like a torch and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood, which, which makes something that you, you'll see here bitter. It destroys it. It makes it unusable. The, when you think about this picture, it's the fresh water affected. It's not just we're talking about salt water, which some of you say, what's the big deal? And we're talking all of this this large portion of fresh water. And a lot of times when you and I, um, for us, living the way that we live, we think you just go to the sink and turn on the water and all is well. Or you can go to the store and get bottled water if you don't like Lake Texarkana water. You know, which... I understand, like, you know, but it's like one of those things where we sometimes think it's all good. We don't have any problems with fresh water, but you just think about going to your faucet, turning on the water, and it is foul. It is bitter. It is destroyed. It's useless. And so this picture on display here, and then you might think about the first century or like some of my friends who have helped uh, uh, with people like and, and get to, to help them get wells around in their area where, where they've gone out there or spent the money or given money or whatever to help somebody have good water. There are places in the world where people walk miles to dip down their buckets down into the water and when they walk back home and they drink that water, it's poisoning them. And so that's going on all around the world. We don't understand that sometimes because we're so disconnected from it. But the, the picture here of total contamination of a third of the fresh water is shocking. 
This is hard for us to even fathom. You know, we really should stop and say, every time I drink clean water, it is a sign of God's grace to me. Then the fourth angel in verse 12 blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of their light might be darkened and a third of the day might be kept from shining and likewise a third of the night. So we see land, sea, rivers and springs and now we see a third of the sun, moon and stars. This, this, as it continues, you see really God brought light into existence and He's taking it away. This reminds you of the ninth plague in Egypt. Remember, the people of God had light in their house and all of Egypt went dark. It's a reminder of those three days of darkness they faced. Now, this is where the getting into the interpretation and understanding of this that is important. Some people would say these are all literal things that will happen and this is exactly what is happening or will happen and this is all at the end. Um, I don't see it that way and I'm just going to read one author that kind of agrees with the way I would understand this and you can hear it. Hear me out. The tribulations of verses 6 through 12 are executed throughout various parts of the earth at all times during the church age. That is between the first coming of Christ and the second coming. The But they do not affect the entire earth or all people. The partial nature of the judgment signifies figuratively that these are not descriptions of the last judgment. There are many examples in the prophets with this kind of language that are used to kind of reveal this kind of thing going on. You'll see in in 8 and 9 these words like. The word like. It's like this. And so I think in in, in where we live in in this, this time period... Uh, we are living in a time where, like I said, it's hard for us. And I was going to say, I go to the, I have fresh water all the time. But there are people all over the world, millions of people, that do not have fresh water all the time. There are things going on around this world where you would be shocked at how horrible the famine is. The people are going hungry. They cannot provide for themselves. Throughout the ages, there have been times like this, and there have been plagues of, of, of catastrophic plague, like, like the Black Plague. What would you have done if you lived during that time? Where a third of, of really, I think it was, a, was it a third of Europe was destroyed? I mean, it's just, there, there are things that go on like that, and so you're seeing these, and you understand that judgment is falling on this earth, and that God is orchestrating it. And that he's doing it at really as the saints are praying, bring judgment on the earth. And although we may experience some of those things, we know that God has sealed us, that he is keeping us, that he is watching over us. And, and really, the, like I said, the vision of the seals in the first part, you're saying in the first part of those seals, we're seeing the saints walking through those trials. Here, we're seeing the emphasis on the wicked. And how they are being judged by God. And how He's using those judgments as a means by which He is accomplishing His plan of dealing with God's enemies and setting up a place for the righteous. So if you're not a Christian here today, and you have taken for granted the ground beneath your feet, the water faucets that you can turn on, 
and all the different things that God in His common grace has given you. This should strike fear in your heart. Because what if the nuclear attack hits? What if a terrorist attack hits in this area? What will you do in the face of judgment? Will you have hope? Or do you have hope? The only hope that the Scripture presents is in Jesus. John chapter 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. The scripture goes on to say, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's presenting Jesus is coming to us to rescue us. That is our only hope. That is your only hope. And so when you see these judgments on display, you need to ask yourself, am I prepared for them? The present judgments and the the, the final judgment, am I prepared If you're a little boy or a little girl here this morning and you're asking yourself and you need to, where do I stand with the Lord? Do I know Him? Have I come into a relationship with Him? Do I know that when when one day when I face the end or when I face some trouble now, am I with Christ? Do I know Him? At every level, we constantly need to be thinking about God's plan for the ages, and that is to preserve His people through the judging of the wicked. And we need to examine ourselves. Revelation 8.13 says, it's really a woe to the earth dweller, and you'll see what those people are, who they are. Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. See that on display here. The first four trumpet blasts, like the first seals, dealt with the elements of the natural world being affected. In 8.13, these last trumpets will be revealing these spiritual judgments that are coming upon the earth. So the first four affect the earth and the last three will depict heavenly and spiritual scenes. And the question again is, are you prepared? You see these, these earth dwellers, they're the wicked They're the ones trusting in themselves. They're the ones who are trusting in the natural world. They're the ones who are trusting in what their hands can create and what they can do. They're the ones who are building their own idols, creating their own worlds, devising their own kingdoms. And he is saying, you have rejected God. You are an idol worshiper. You're living outside of Him. And now you will face Him. So if you are not a believer today in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are outside of His blessing. You will face the curse. You will face some trouble in the present. You will face eternal trouble in the future. And the question for you today is, will you repent? 
Will you turn in faith to Christ? In a way you could say, well, this sounds like a really horrible thing. It is a horrible thing. But the wonderful thing is this. God is now extended mercy to you. You're able to hear this message today. And that is that you will face God in His judgment or you will face Him in His mercy. And you need to choose today whom you will serve. As a believer here today, are you proclaiming this message to the world? Sometimes, and Ryan mentioned this in our confession, or, or sometimes we, we're, we're too scared to do so. But you should be scared not to. When you think about the horrible nature of God's judgments in the present and the final judgment in the future, do you not ever think, I must share, I'm compelled to share? I long to share. I want to explain to others the only hope for them. We as believers should read this and be reminded. Now, another thing as believers here today is this. Every time you look at the horrible things going on around you and you say, God, how long? You can know that those prayers, every one of them, are kept by God. And He will answer them. We should pray like the saints. How long, O Lord, until You avenge our blood? We should pray, O God, please, even now, come Lord Jesus, set up Your kingdom, judge Your enemies, and, and, and bring us into Your eternal kingdom in the joy of it while He allows us to wait. We should proclaim to people everywhere. There is coming a judgment. There is an escape. Turn to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to give us wisdom and direction in how to apply these truths. Lord, we do not want to read the Revelation like some people have a tendency to read it. And pull out charts and think about all the the ways in which uh, things uh, might be or could be and speculate. We know that there are very clear directions here. You will judge the earth. And we need to be about trusting in you, asking you to bring that about, and sharing with others the truths found here. In Christ's name, amen. If you would stand with me at this time.